if you're physically able, will you stand with me while we read uh, from Philippians 1, 27 through 30 in honor of God's Word. Verse 27, chapter 1, Philippians. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Verse 29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. And thank you very much for standing. That's the word of the living God. He moves on to talk about the consolation of Christ, the comfort of his love, the fellowship of the Spirit, the affection and mercy that we find in Jesus. In other words, he's going on in chapter 2 to talk about all the things that sustain us in our suffering and all the things that we stand to learn about Jesus. Last week we talked about this, that rather than uh, focusing on our differences, this text focuses on what we have in common. And what we have in common is enough to unite us. We have in common Jesus, obviously. And we've talked about before time and again as we looked at Philippians, that the book of Philippians mentions joy, rejoicing in joy, some 19 times. And the reason all of that is mentioned in these four short chapters is because there's another word that Paul uses 40 times, and that's the name Jesus. All of that comes as a result of being rightly related to God through his dear son. And he talks about the things that we have in common in this text, and that is that we have one spirit. We've all been baptized into one spirit. That every believer, we talked about time and again, not every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit, but every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's one indwelling, but many feelings. So we're, we're, we're united in the Holy Spirit. We're united in our mind, or at least we have the potential to be, because we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says literally in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that we have the mind of Christ. So our mind has been transformed. We have one spirit whereby the transformation occurs, and there's something else that's common among all of us, and that is the grace of suffering. It's, a, it's part of the modus operandi of the devil to uh, isolate Christians. You want to uh, kind of whisper a thought in your mind that says, you know what, I don't see anybody else going through this, or this is unique to you, or to try to kind of talk you into very deceptively and ever so unperceptibly sometimes, this is just unique to you. You know, after all, everything else is happening to other people, and they seem to be faring pretty well and get along pretty, pretty good in the Christian life, and here you are, Going through difficulty, let me remind you of this. And the Bible is clear about this. Suffering unites the believer. Because don't think it's strange, the Apostle Paul, the fiery trial which is to try you because it's common among you and all your brethren. Even, even Peter was tempted to think this. when John In John chapter 21, he was restored by our Lord. You remember the story. He's out there on the seashore and they're fishing. He thinks he's going to go back to fishing because he's blown it. He's divided Jesus three times. You know, I'm no longer fishing for men. I'm going to go fish for fish. Going back to my old trade, I'll be a witness, but it won't be near like it was because I failed. Jesus meets him out there cooking breakfast. And he says, listen, I'm going to restore you. And he gives him three times. Peter, do you love me? He gives one for every denial. And he's in the process of restoring Peter and building him back. And Peter 
And he begins to really prophesy and predict to Peter that he's going to die for his faith. Tradition has it that Peter was, was crucified, as you've heard many times before, upside down because he didn't view himself to be worthy of the same way that Jesus was crucified. But he was martyred for his faith. He looks over at John and he says, Lord, what about this guy? And Jesus, in effect, says, that's none of your business. That's none of your business. Whatever happens to him, I've got sovereign control over that. Whatever happens to you is under my sovereign control. Don't start looking around. Just look up. Look at me. See, the devil tries that. The Bible says, and we quoted this verse last week, it's Proverbs 18.1, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. If you could take you as a believer and isolate you, you could be in a room full of 100 people and still be isolated. And isolate you, the Satan can really undercut your victory and really get you in a bad place. That's why we need the fellowship of the body of Christ. That's why we need people praying for one another. I just had another testimony this morning. Chad telling me back in the back that Spencer was praying for him at a much needed time on Monday and he had no idea what was going on with him and it was an important meeting that he was in and the Holy Spirit prompted Spencer to pray for Chad at just the right time and these things are happening over and over and over and over again these are not natural these are supernatural things but this is why we're together in the body of Christ to build one another up and pray for one another the Bible knows of no such victory for an isolated saint it doesn't predict it. It predicts not victory. It predicts sure defeat. And so we're united in our sufferings. But let's be careful about this. And let me just say this. This passage assumes one thing. This passage assumes, and, and make sure now we, we're clear on this, this passage assumes that this suffering is as a result of being right in the middle of God's will, not outside it. Let's be careful about that. Let's be careful about that. This passage assumes that partners in the gospel will suffer. And partners in the gospel will suffer not as a result of being outside God's will, but they will suffer as a direct result of being inside God's will. Do you remember we talked about Paul's journey? And we went through one Sunday and we took, we took a trip from Acts chapter 21 all the way to Acts chapter 26. And it was the setting that led to the writing of this epistle. And the Apostle Paul, got him, he got in trouble in Jerusalem and got arrested. And that led to his journey ultimately to Rome. Was that as a result of Paul being in rebellion? Or was that as a result of Paul being in submission? Submission. He was told by God to go to Jerusalem. He was in the middle of God's will and got in trouble for it. This is the temptation too, isn't it? To say, oh Lord, you know, I should be decorated. Put a patch right there. I'm in the middle of your will. I did your will. And here I am suffering for it. What is fair about that? Listen, the Bible predicts it. The Bible guarantees it. And we're going to see this morning in a very clear way the grand and glorious reason for it. We talked about it last week and we touched on it. We introduced it. But I want to go a little bit further with it this week. Or felt led to go further with it this week. But first, before we do this, let's settle this matter about these folks and why they were suffering. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Go over there with me for just one moment if you don't mind. 1 Peter, we're going to look in chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 14. Let's just settle this in our mind. Let's get this straight. Paul is talking to people. We Remember we talked about it. He said in the first six verses of Philippians alone, he said, you know what? From the first day until now, the first day that God established you as a church, from the first day until now, I celebrate, I thank God for your what? Partnership 
in the gospel. They hit the ground running. You won't find in this text of a bunch of uh, rebukes from Paul. You will find in this text encouragement to keep on going and to persevere because they were partners in the gospel. They got it. They hit the ground running. They were sharing the gospel. They were in the middle of God's will. And he was calling for further unity so they could come together in their partnership for the gospel. But look what it says in 1 Peter 4, 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he has blasphemed your persecutors, but on your part, he's glorified. But look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. The Apostle Peter draws this stark contrast between the fact that there is suffering for as a result of being in the middle of God's will, but if you're suffering as a result of murderous, and to be a murderer you don't have to kill anybody, just, just dislike them so badly that you wish they were dead. Or maybe hold out unforgiveness toward them so much so that you just refuse to let go of your bitterness toward them, and you've in effect killed them. And a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters, if you suffer, and you will, as a result of doing this, don't glory over that. There's no glory in that. You can expect not suffering on the part of a believer, but you can expect what? Discipline. Discipline. And of course, that's love from God, because God disciplines, and He chastises, He spanks those who are His. If you've never been spanked by God, then you're an illegitimate child, and you don't know Him. So the Bible says. And God even then is redemptively working through discipline. The Bible says in Proverbs 12.11, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So the Lord's after the fruit, even in the discipline. But let's draw the contrast here. and Let's look at the, let's look at the, the context in which Paul's writing. Let's go back to Philippians. So these are, this is suffering as a result of being in the middle of God's will. Let's establish that. And then I want us to look at something here. Now we talked about last week, and we shared, and we, we, we kind of dipped our foot in the water here of, some, of, of a wonderful place, and we went over to Romans chapter 5 and looked at it. We talked about how, if you'll recall, the Bible says that tribulation in the life of a believer, which means pressure, produces perseverance. Patient endurance, perseverance, and under trial. And that word we talked about means that you're not trying to wiggle out from under it. How often do we do that as believers? The, when, the, when, the, when the thing gets tough, and when it gets to the point where we just think, feel like we can't stand it any longer, I wonder how many times in the Christian life, I can look back and name specific times in my Christian life where I escaped the circumstance, and later God let me see something he had around the corner if I'd have just waited. Wait on him. Wait on the Lord. Keep your eyes and keep your focus on Him. Patiently endure. Hang in there, believer, because what He's doing in your life is motivated by love. And you can trust Him because He's a loving God. And He's doing that for His glory and your good. So it says the, per the perseverance means don't try to wiggle out from under it. It says so tribulation produces perseverance and produ perseverance produces proven character. Not theory. I wonder how I would act in that situation. Have you ever looked at somebody going through a difficult situation? 
and said, oh man, or be critical maybe of how they handle it, but if you step back for just a minute and ask some honest questions and go, wow, I wonder how I would have acted if I was in their place. That's a good question to ask, isn't it? And so we persevere, and that produces proven character. It's character that, that we can look back and it, it reinforces, yes, it reinforces our confidence that we really are saved. That we really are saved. Lord, I do know you. You are conforming me. You know, we talk about the defeats of the Christian life, but we don't sometimes celebrate the victories. There are victories in the Christian life. Amen? There are things that I used to deal with that, praise God, I've got victory over now. And there are things that God's dealing with me right now and trying to slay me. But can you just celebrate and let's all say, praise the Lord for victory in life. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. That's right. I'm not the same person I used to be and you're not the same person that you used to be. We're being conformed to the image of God's Son. Yesterday, I hope the goodness that we can say if God lets us live another 24 hours, there's less of me in my life and more Him. The devil would just love to beat us down like the woman who was caught in adultery and just all the enemies arrayed against us would just love to say, you are sorry thing. You're not a candidate for victory. Look at your past. Of course, we've been said before, and this has been worn out, but when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And so then you know what? We're united. So the, 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 it's proven, proven uh, character. It's proven. It's been through the fire. It's the idea of a tested veteran. That produces hope. And that hope is anchored on the fact that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the progression, and this is it. And I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask a, a couple of guys, maybe uh, Bruce and Joe, would y'all be kind enough to hand these out? i got a handout of a passage of Scripture I want to hand to you that we prepared this week. Pastor Dave prepared it. I'm so grateful. I'm around somebody that can handle a computer. And uh, so we, um, we uh, had this prepared for you. And y'all pass one out, if you will. I hope those go all the way around. I think they will. We talked about the fact that just hang in there and we'll wrap this up. I know we're about out of time. We just want the, we're asking for the Scriptures to encourage you. We have this common thing and that suffering in the body of Christ and we're so, we so misunderstand this so much so that some would try who have ulterior motives or false motives, some would try to even talk the Bible out of the fact that the Christian is to suffer. And to talk Christians out of the fact that the Christians are appointed to suffer. And, 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 and I mourn over that when I hear that. Because you think of the number of people throughout the world, Christians, who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who have consecrated themselves to the Lord and His purpose for their life. And they're going through suffering. And there's people that have the audacity to say that there's something spiritually deficient in your life because you're suffering. If that offends me, and look at me, goober head that I am. What do you think it means to God? It's so offensive. He said, this suffering, and we talked about, it has been granted to you. You remember that we, we said that the word, that the, 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 ver, the, the, the noun from which that verb is, uh, the Greek verb, uh, Greek noun from which the verb from that text is translated, means grace. It means it has been graced to you. To suffer, It means that God, through suffering as a result of being in the middle of His will, has granted you favor that you don't merit. Now here's how we do it. And I know I've done this too. 
So anytime I say this about you, it's because I'm all too familiar with it in my own personal experience. But this is what we do. God, I don't deserve this. When we should be saying, God, I really don't deserve this. But thank you. See our different perspectives? This one says, God, this is unfair. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, this is unfair. And no, but the real meaning is, God, I've, God, thank you for trusting me with this. Thank you for giving me stewardship over the grace of suffering because it is through suffering that your name is being glorified through my life. The gospel is being advanced. But far more than that, I'm getting to know you in a way that I would otherwise not get to know you. And that you're using this suffering and you're using what's going on in my life to take me to a place spiritually that I not otherwise would have gone. And then we become to value Him and not what He can do for us. We value the things He does for us, but oh, my dear friend, the Christian life, and God's aim is that we would just value Him. That's called worship. You come in here and we lift up our hands and we worship because we've been worshiping all week. Not because of our circumstances, but most often in spite of them. And we worship simply because He's just flat Worthy, period, end of subject. And so he said, you know what? I've given you unmerited favor to suffer. And then here's what happened. This is the progression. Listen to it. And we've got these texts. We're going to lay them beside each other and show you something from the Word of God. In the middle of God's will, suffering is guaranteed. In the middle of God's will, you share it in common with your brothers everywhere. So don't feel alone. Don't let the devil talk you into the fact that you're isolated. And here's the progression. This is it. Everyone is the beneficiary of God's love. Everybody. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world the world. God loves everyone. The Bible says God is love. Love is not something God just does. Love is something that God is. It is His character and His nature to love. He can't help but love because that's who He is. And it's a love that's unique and it's in a category all its own. And it's not like anything that we've ever known or experienced this way. It can only be received this way. But everyone is the beneficiary of God's love. But upon salvation, you become the recipient of God's love. The Bible says in John 1.12, To many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on His name. I receive you, Lord. When you repent toward God and put faith in His Son, you become the recipient of what is already extended to you already. But through patient endurance and trials, you begin to understand God's love. See, that's the experience of Paul. You're the beneficiary of it. Upon salvation, you're the recipient of it. But as you patiently endure through trials, you begin to understand it. This is God answering our prayer. You remember we talked about it last week in Ephesians 3, 14-21. That we would understand what's the width, the length, and the height, and the depth of the love of God that we have in Christ, which surpasses understanding that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. What we don't realize is when we ask God to do that, you know what that means? He's going to introduce tribulation, trials, and suffering so that we can understand His love. Now, I gave you these two passages, and here's the reason why. The reason why is this. On the left-hand side, and you've read this before, is the laundry list, if you will, 
of the suffering of the Apostle Paul. You know, we talked about the fact that when you come out of suffering or you're going through it and you persevere, the idea of a tested veteran. Paul is not speaking here in theory. Well, I saw that in Al's life and here's what I concluded. No, it happened in my life. I appreciate every last one of you and I appreciate your testimonies and they helped me. But let me tell you this. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. I don't want to know Him through your experience. I want to know Him through mine. And that you could be blessed by my experience and I could be blessed by yours. But I can tell you one thing. I want to know Him. And the perseverance through trial is how He is known. And so the Apostle Paul has this laundry list of all the trials that he went through. That's on the left hand side. That's what I appreciate about people like Solomon. In the book of Ecclesiastes, God gave him everything so that he could say, God could say, okay, here's a man who was given everything and here's his conclusions. He's done the work for you. What does he say? Everything under the earth is vanity among everything. Everything under the sun is vain. It is meaningless apart from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He did all the work for us, but yet we still try, don't we? We still explore. We try to still grasp for the things that He grasped for so we can prove maybe that's wrong or maybe there is fulfillment and joy in Jesus plus something else. And we just tack Him on to it and think He's a spiritual Santa Claus that exists for our whims. It's not true. We exist for Him and His glory. But He's our portion, not the other way around. So the Apostle Paul was afforded all the grace, unmerited favor. Again, not like this. God, this is not fair. And I don't deserve this. But God, thank you. Because I really don't deserve this. But thank you for putting this in my lap and giving me stewardship over this. Boy, there's an eternal difference between those two. And so he gave him the opportunity to go through all of this on the left-hand side. And in the right-hand side, he wrote down his conclusions. That's the beauty of these texts being put side by side. Watch this. Hebrews, I mean, 2 Corinthians 11, 22-29. Are they not Hebrews? So am I. Are they not Israelites? So am I. Are they, not, are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness Besides the other day, the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who am weak? And am I not weak? And who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. That's his resume since becoming a Christian. Think about that. Wrote 13, possibly 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Arguably the greatest Christian who ever lived. God deposited truth into him that was so great he had to give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being arrogant about it. Do you imagine that? Such revelation like no man had been given, caught up into the third heaven, 
He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's why he said there was a thorn in the flesh given to him. He asked God three times to remove it. He said, no, because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's what he said to him because he'd been revealed so much truth. There was such a propensity or such a potential for being arrogant about what he knew. And the Lord said, I've got to keep this in you to humble you. And he was humbled, but he went through all of this. And if anybody could have said, Lord, I'm in the middle of your will. I'm the apostle number one. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. And you took me and met me on the Damascus Road and all of these things I've done for you. And I've been right in the middle of your will. And I've not, I've not coyed back from my confession. And it's gotten, got me in nothing but trouble. And then in Romans 8... <laughs> 31-39. This is his conclusion. This is patient endurance of tribulation on the left. And on the right hand side is growing deeper in an understanding of the love of God that you have in Christ Jesus. Here's his conclusion as a result of everything that went on the left. Here's what his conclusions are on the right. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore also is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen, shall tribulation, I've been through tribulation, no. Shall distress, I've been through distress, no. Shall persecution, I've been through persecution, no. Shall famine, I've been through famine, no. Shall nakedness, no. Shall peril, I've been through that, no. Shall sword, I've been through that, no. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded through experience that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You think he understood something about the love of God? Did he understand that? as a result of not suffering, or did he understand that as a result of suffering? There it is on the left-hand side. Everything he went through on the left-hand side, he celebrates. He said, I've been there, done that. And through all of it, guess what? As close to me as him standing right beside me, I've sensed the Lord and His love and His tabernacle over me. My God loves me. And the persecution and the tribulation did not cast doubt on God's love. Friend, brother, and sister, it's evidence of God's love. Whatever you're going through, you only understand, not by theory. You can tell when testimonies are superficial. And you can tell when they've been through the ringer. And people know what they speak and of whom they speak. You have a testimony that's been not trite, not tested that far, but one that's been down to the very depths of despair and went down there and said, you know what? I went down there because God carried me down there. And guess what? He was there. I was starving to death and I went that far. And guess what? He was there. I had my own countrymen, 40 of them had taken a vow. We will not eat or drink until we kill Him. And I found out He was there. 
I've been through a divorce and I found out he was there. I was betrayed by the most precious person in my life. I stood at an altar and we exchanged vows. And one person said to me, and I said to them, to death do us part. And they didn't keep the vow. And guess what? I found out he's still there. I've got rebellious and wayward child that I don't know what the future is. But you know what? I'm trusting God because I've found out even in the middle of the depths of my despair, he's there. I found out that a nation has turned its back on God and absolutely said it like a cart rope, like from Isaiah chapter 5, where we just defiantly sin before God and say, God, what are you going to do about it? But as a Christian, there's an inwrought grace that in spite of the direction in our country and in spite of what's going on, He's still at work. He's still there. He's a God who's able. We need to expand our vision of God and get our mind off of our circumstances and lift them up and get them up on the God who is sovereign over every last one of them. I disagree with the President of the United States on everything, but He is there because God put Him there. Don't forget that. He is there because God put Him there. The reason the decision was handed down just this past week with Forrest and Karen and their precious little foster child is because God turned the heart of that judge where he wanted it to go. God's sovereign. God's able. God's in charge. God's great. God's merciful. He does what He wills to do. And you can receive that no matter what because He's full of love for you and everyone you love. Take your love and add it together and multiply it times infinity and you will not even scratch the surface of the love of God that He has for you in this life. We talk about we understand the love of God. Let me tell you this. When you go through the ringer, that's when you understand the love of God. That's when you really understand it. Job was called upon and the Lord had a conversation with the devil. And the devil said, the only reason that Job loves you, no wonder he's faithful to you. No wonder he's, no wonder he's loyal. Look how you've blessed him. You've given him riches beyond compare. The oldest book in the Bible is Job, not Genesis. And he says, hey, he said, he said listen, who, who wouldn't worship you then? And the Lord said, okay, I'll let you touch him. You take away everything he's got. Let's find out if he still worships. And that's what happened. So you can touch everything but his life. You can't kill him. And then he's still worshiping the Lord. And Satan ups the ante and said, for God's sovereign care, ups the ante and said, hey, listen, you start messing with him physically, he'll start cursing you. So he gets all these boils and sores all over him. Guess what? Still praising God. But you know what the end of it is? The end of it is, Job thought he knew the Lord. And Job thought he knew what it was like to worship God. But he didn't really know Him until the end of that. And he said, Lord, I've heard about you. But now, I have seen you. His worship was purified. And it was tested. Not for God's benefit. Do you think God was wringing His hands up in heaven going, wow, I hope Job hangs in there. I have doubts about this. I just don't know how it's going to turn out. No. He sovereignly permitted it to happen to test Job and put him through the ringer so that people like me who've got about one billionth of the faith of a man like him could look, look at that and go, you know what? If that guy patiently endured, he comes out and says, God, I used to know you in theory. I knew about you, but now I know you. Then maybe he'll do that for me. Amen? So believer, if you're in the middle of God's will and you're suffering, God, you know what? That's, that's fulfilled prophecy. God, God didn't say that might happen to you. God said it will. 
And our response should be rejoicing and thinking, Oh Lord, you love me enough to where I can know you like that. I can know you like Job. I can see you. And I can understand your love. And I can receive your love. Well, let me tell you something, folks. And this is where this is where most of our problems happen in church and beyond. But it begins at church. You cannot deeply love until you know you are deeply loved. That's what the Lord does through the ringer. As He puts us through the fire. This has everything to do with His return. Because the Bible says the Lord is preparing for Himself a spotless, chaste bride who trusts Him implicitly. And He said we're supposed to have holy conduct. He's conforming us into the image of His Son. And He's getting us ready for His imminent return. That's what He's doing. If He's got you in the middle of the University of Adversity or Tribulation Tech and you feel like you're getting an advanced degree, you're thinking, Lord, the rest of these people around me have got bachelor degrees, but you're giving me a PhD. First of all, that's not true because you don't know what's going on behind any of these faces in here. You don't have any idea what's going on behind any of this. You don't know. You don't know. Don't look at, look, don't look at contempt with anybody else. Keep your focus on Him and get everything you stand to get out of it. Patiently endure. Let Him take hold of you. If He takes hold of you, I promise you, you will not be a candidate for turning back on Him. You'll want more of Him than more than you can get of Him. You can have as much of God as you want. The problem is it's our want to. Once you get a taste of Him and see that He's good, you're hooked. You're hooked. Amen.